With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into the Denver Stiff Show. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn. We are joined today. Of course, I have uh, my deputy site manager with me, Zach Mikosh, on the on the line. But a massive guest, one of the best guests that we have ever brought onto the site, the founder of Denver Stiffs himself, Andrew Feinstein, is in the building. Andy, how are you, man? It is so good to be with you guys, uh, Ryan and Zach. Uh, I am embarrassed uh, that it has taken me this long or us this long to reunite. So uh, let me first just say how um, how proud I am of where the site has gone. And you guys are doing an unbelievable job. I mean, I thought the statement you put out about Black Lives Matter, I think in the last 24 hours or so, um, was very eloquently written and very well stated. And I think what you guys are doing is incredible. You're You're keeping the you know, Stiff's Nation unified and engaged. And I know it's got to be a challenge with no sports. And the last thing you probably want to do is political commentary. But again, just proud of you guys. Happy to be here. And, and let's do this more often. Absolutely. Thank, thank you for saying that. We, uh, it's, been, it's been a really interesting ride. And, and coming from my perspective as somebody who took over the site, Back in September, I never expected things to get as wild as they are right now, both from a a personal perspective, but also from a worldly perspective, where the world is basically on fire right now. That there's there's no other way to put it with everything that has gone on. And we'll get to the basketball conversation in a little bit, but there are so many more important things going on in the world right now. You mentioned it. We just put out a statement, hashtag Black Lives Matter. We really appreciate and we really want to contribute to the positivity, to the the voices that continue to guard against people that have been racially racially oppressed and have dealt with police brutality over the course of many hundreds of years. This is this is not a new issue. This shouldn't have been an issue and we want to continue to put ourselves out there as much as possible. Uh, wanted to get your your opinions and your takes on this though because we have We've been dealing with a tumultuous time. I wanted to know, with you personally, how are you doing during this time? And how do you feel like the city of Denver is doing during this time? Yeah, so I heard a joke. I don't know if it's funny or not. On CNBC uh, about a day or two ago, and they said, aren't we fortunate to have the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, and the riots of the 1960s all at the same time? And it's, uh, it's certainly a challenging time. And, and to answer your question on the Black Lives Matter issue, the police brutality issue, um, well, I guess you asked how I'm doing. I'm fine. Um, you know, you got to put these things in perspective. You know, I do own, for, for listeners that may, not, may or may not remember, I do own the largest uh, LGBTQ nightclub in the United States. Um, and, you know, we pride ourselves uh, at Trax and Exto 
uh, for running an exceptionally inclusive organization. Uh, we have no tolerance for, nor have we ever had any tolerance. And this goes, you know, we we're supposed to celebrate, this is our 40th anniversary this summer. And we've had no tolerance for any type of division or bigotry or sexism or racism or uh, uh, certainly anything that's involving anti-immigration or anti-gay. And, and you know, again, inclusivity is our mantra. <clears throat> but um, so I'm fine. What I've learned from our employees of color, our guests of color, my friends of color over the last week or so, my own personal journey, believing I was an inclusive guy and believing I've been at the out front of this, I'm not. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had to learn to recognize that, you know, inclusivity doesn't really mean much if one group of people are treated differently than everybody else. And we really have to start putting uh, black lives at the forefront of our consciousness or, you know, all lives don't really matter, if that makes sense. And so that's been my journey over the last week or so. Um, I gathered my 35 full-time, I should say our 35 full-time employees together for an all-staff meeting on this issue yesterday. We have another 40 or 50 part-time employees. If you guys have ever been to our nightclub or our event center, you know, we have lots of bartenders and barbacks and dancers and DJs and technicians. And, um, but our core staff got together yesterday and, and uh, you know, we're going to continue to do what our company has always stood for. Uh, but we need to do a little bit of a better job. Um, I think, even though I think we've been pretty good, we're not, we haven't been good enough. So that's what we're going to do in my organization. Um, but I'm fine. Um, you know, I never thought that having 3000 people getting together for a party would be a bad business model. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly it's a very challenging time with this pandemic. Um, right. but, uh, you know, perspectives in order, I'm healthy. My wife, my beautiful wife is pregnant and healthy. We have a beautiful baby girl who is healthy and that, you know, I know a lot of people in this world are not, and that could be uh, physically unhealthy. It could be financially unhealthy. It could be emotionally unhealthy. And so you, from the lens of that perspective, I believe that we are very fortunate. And while I'm not a religious person, I believe that I'm very blessed. So a little bit of a rant there, but that's, that's where my head goes when you bring this stuff up. Um, as far as how Denver's going, um, I'm, I, I'm proud to say I'm very good friends with Mayor Michael Hancock, who is the second African-American mayor in Denver's history. I worked very hard to get him elected last year, uh, re-elected, I should say, for a third and final term. Um, I have been honored by him. Uh, he selected me to co-chair his Economic Recovery and Relief Council for Small Business, and my co-chair is a prominent African-American woman, Denise Burgess, who's a terrific business leader. Who's, right. She's got a few years on me, and her wisdom and her perspective, and with my kind of uh, anarchist uh, progressive pseudo libertarian views on business has been a good pairing and we're trying we're fighting hard for small business and we challenged our committee together this week to come up with ideas that specifically help minority owned businesses um but as far as how denver's going you know i know a lot of these organizers i think they've done a great job um i know a lot of folks in the police department and i think that they've you know, compared to most cities, I think Denver's done a pretty good job. The, the, the protests have been pretty peaceful. You know, we've certainly had some elements of <clears throat> late night anarchy, but I can tell you guys, and this may be a little bit of a blanket statement, but it's not coming from 
the organizers, the, the African-American organizers. That is not where this is coming from. They've been, they have done an unbelievable job, I think, of, of doing this peaceably. Uh, peaceably. My only nitpick is the mayor marched yesterday, which was great, but he marched with two guys wearing Lakers jerseys. Oh, so, that so I is reached out to the mayor today and I said, I'm, I'm so happy to see you marching with these activists, but why are you marching with Lakers fans? You need to be marching with Nuggets fans. <laughs> Um, but other than that, uh, I think Denver's <clears throat> done, you know, done a good job in a very tough situation. And, and, and uh, I may be a little biased because I know a lot of the folks in the mayor's administration, they've been good friends of mine. But I can tell you to their core, they care about this city. They care about the health of this city. And uh, uh, always trying to be an optimist and end on an optimistic note. I hope that we get through this as a stronger and a better community, um, even though we're going through some pain right now. Yeah, it's certainly, it has certainly been one of the more impressive things watching CNN over the past and watching MSNBC and networks like that that have been covering these protests as, as in-depth as they can. Denver has popped up in a lot of those situations as, as one of the places that has done well, that has continued to put forth as the great resources that they can to keep these protests peaceful, to keep them everybody moving in the right direction, and to try to set out what, what everybody is accomplishing to do. And that's to eradicate hate. That is to eradicate these racial injustices. And in order to do that, you just kind of have to step back sometimes and realize that if, especially, especially for individuals, especially for white individuals, that it, it never is about, it never has to be about you. It never has to be about the individual. And, and that's why I have, I've, been very impressed with what the city of Denver has done. They have made it about what it's supposed to be about. Uh, Zach, you you have been with Encore Electric for a while. Uh, how do you how do you feel like a small uh, a company like that has done during this time? And and what what added perspective can you give for uh, your your experience in the Denver community and in the Northern Colorado community during this time? Yeah, I mean. Um our company is there always uh we, we've we've been pushing forward um always for uh being inclusive kind of like what andy was saying i mean it's we're we're a company who who doesn't in any way tolerate any sort of bigotry or or racism or prejudice where we're uh we have we have a saying that you know everybody uh everybody wires the same doesn't matter what you look like which is um, it's kind of been a, in the construction industry in general has been, you know, I, I, ripe with uh, racism, with bigotry, with all kinds of things. Like we've, and we've come a long way uh, probably in the past, just in the past 20 years, honestly, so much has changed um, sure. in my industry in that, then that particular uh, area, but it's not nearly enough, you know, and it's, and, and it's something that we have to continue, I think as, um, as leaders in, in business to to find ways to be better ourselves because uh, we we do enjoy an incredible amount of privilege uh, as as white men who who have been given uh, the ability to be decision makers like we we have such a a a blessing and a um, an incredible amount of advantages that that we everybody takes for granted and and i think a you know andy was talking about the growth that's been i think some of my biggest growth is just really understanding like the, the privilege that has been um enjoyed by 
by me that with that I don't even recognize or didn't even recognize was there in my day to day life. But but so much of everything that I do um, is better because of the color of my skin, and that's that's such an issue in this country because it's it it shouldn't. It, Everybody, everybody is a human. Everybody wires the same. Everybody is a human the same. Like there, it doesn't matter the way we look or the choices that we make in, um, in our sexual orientation or in what we, in our religion or even in, in a lot of it in the ways of our politics. But the, the, we, we take these surface level issues and we let them drive so much hate into our hearts and we let it affect our everyday lives in, in ways that, that are so trivial to us because of the privilege we enjoy. And then they, they, they just completely destroy other people for completely superficial reasons. And it's, man, I like, I, I don't want to get too emotional on this, but it's like, it, it really, it, there's, there's part of me that's just angry. Like I can't, I can't deny that. Like, because I, I have I have come a long way from from Ferguson, Mississippi, where where I was like such a a I wanted to not believe, you know, I wanted to find any reason to not believe that this was that that was um, a racially uh, motivated murder, and to come here to today and and just like to see it just happen again and again, and to know like to know this isn't these are the ones we see, but this happens all the time, and it just doesn't stop like it it is incredibly frustrating frustrating right and and we we've we've put out we've you know we what I will say about denver stiffs and and about everybody at Denver stiffs, and I think we all believe this and and we all we all mean this to the core of our heart. We, we put out our statement and that was a combination of all of us and everything. We, we, it wasn't one person wrote that we all contributed to coming up with that. But I know that all of us know that that's not, that, that's not where this ends. Like they, just making statements um, on social media and paying lip service to this is not enough. And I think that maybe the thing that gives me the hope the most right now is I think I have seeing perhaps the very first steps of people actually trying to take some action. You know, we're introducing bills to try and get things rid of things like qualified immunity. Like there's actual action starting to happen. And that's, that's what I guess what I would, what I'd wrap up uh, what I'm saying here. This, this sort of monologue is that what I would implore everyone is to understand that like, it's great that, that we're all coming out and that and that we're, we're supporting this movement, but it has to be more than just talk. Like we have to change. We have to we have to find ways to make the difference in our world or this will just happen again and we'll be all here again next year, six months from now. And the sad part is that's just because that's the ones that we'll see when it really is going to continue to happen every day. So I, I just, I, I'm really happy that, that we're, we're getting behind this and, and, and there's a great movement happening, but let's, let's make some change. Let's, let's actually get out there and let's, let's, let's find a way to, make it so that we don't have to continue to have these conversations. So these conversations are things that are left for the history books. I'm in full agreement. There's, there's nothing, nothing wrong with any of that statement. That's for sure. Uh, It's actually a really good tie into my, my next piece of this conversation. Andy, I want to get your thoughts uh, as somebody who is, is in a position of change as somebody who, who has an opportunity to, to continue to voice some things that's, that 
individuals may not feel like they can give voice to just because it, it's with an issue like racism, with an issue like police brutality, when you're an individual, sometimes it's, it's hard to think about how much of a difference you can make as one individual. What are some ways that individuals can go out and make a difference? And what are some ways that you think that we can help the city of Denver, just as a starting point, be better than it was before? Gosh, that's a good question. You know, um, I, I made a comment to a, a friend the other day that, um, again, this is part of maybe my privilege. You know, we've always had a good relationship with the police department. When you run a large nightclub and a large event center, it's critically important that you have a good relationship with your police department. Sure. And, uh, I, I said to a friend the other day, you know, I think, you know, 99% of police officers don't do these things. And I had a, uh, I got together with a very good friend of mine who's a former city councilman, Albus Brooks, uh, here in Denver, uh, African-American former city councilman. And he said, it's not 99%, first of all. Um, but, you know, it's like saying, um, it's like saying that, you know, not all, not all priests are child molesters, but enough priests are child molesters that it's a problem. And so part of my journey is, and I'm going to get to your question, is... I got to stop saying ignorant statements like that, number one. Number two, if you want to be a priest, if you want to be a police officer, and I'm quoting Chris Rock here, you got to be like an airline pilot. You got to be damn near perfect or don't go into that profession. I was just thinking of that. Was, it's if, a great, great segment by Chris even Rock. Even if 1% are bad apples, people get killed. Yeah. And, and that's not okay. And so I, I need to stop making ignorant statements like that. That's a very minor thing, I guess, that someone in my position, or frankly, anybody can do. Just be a little aware, be aware of what you're saying when you're saying it. Um, sure. And that's one thing. And then, you know, I always think about, like, specifically, what can we do? Um, you know, have, have we hired enough diversity? You know, uh, does Denver Stiffs have African-American voices writing for it? Does SB Nation have African-American voices? I mean, the NBA is 75% African-American. Um, and yet it seems like the blogosphere is almost, not universally, but I would say it's at least 74% white and probably 74% white male. Um, just like NBA front offices are, just like, you know, and on and on and on. So I think that, um, you know, you guys can affect change by maybe opening up the um, platform to some unique voices that maybe you haven't considered. You know, I'll give you a minor example of this. Uh, I chair the uh, Rhino Art District Board here in Denver. We're the Rhino Art District. We are an art district that is inclusive of four historic neighborhoods. Well, one of them is Five Points, which is a historic uh, uh, African-American neighborhood here in Denver. And yet we had no African-American members on our board. This is pre what's happened, you know, in the last few months. And we've made it a point to make sure that we're including not just uh, African-American voices, but Latino voices as well on our board because we interact with those neighborhoods and yet we had an all-white board. So, sure. so, so th that's a way that we can affect change. And I, I've been part of that. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say it was, you know, I led that, but I was part of that and I cemented that decision and we've acted on it. So <clears throat> those are examples, I think, of how, you know, we can, encourage like i said others to join our whatever our platform is whether it's denver stiffs or a board you're on or a company that you either work for or you run or you know even in your own community you know widen the tent bring people in um because to zach's point um 
I agree with Zach. We are all wired the same, in my opinion, fundamentally. I don't really give a crap what your skin pigmentation is. That doesn't, that, that shouldn't make you a lesser anything to me or to anyone, frankly. Um, but we have to bring more people into our tent um, or you end up dehumanizing them because you don't engage with them. You do not understand them and you have this other complex, which is not okay. Uh, and, and there's a few, those are a few thoughts to answer your question. No, well said. And it's, it's something that as, as the site manager for Denver Stiffs, we have one female on our staff and we have one person of color or we, oh, we have two females. Excuse me. We have one person of color on our staff. One of those people just happens to be the same person. And when you, when you put it that way, it, it at least put a negative picture on something that I was doing, on something that I was responsible for that I hadn't even really considered up until that point. And let me it, just it wasn't on something real quick because I don't want you to beat yourself up. I'm not saying replace writers that you have with writers of color or writers of different backgrounds. Sure. What I'm saying is widen the tent, add oh, more yeah. writers, add more voices. And I think that's, that's something that we all need to be encouraging. No, absolutely. I, I wasn't taking any offense to it at all. I think it's, it's a, it is a widespread problem that isn't limited to just Denver Stiffs or uh, Blog X or a, a, any, any other business because there are so many businesses right now that are affected by a lot of those same problems where not enough people of color, not enough women have been put in charge, have been put into a position where they can affect change and be part of their own voice. So I, I am in full agreement there. Uh, and let me make another comment there because, you know, shame on me. When I was running the site, it was me and including Zach and Adam and Jeff and Nate and Gordon um, and Mike, you know, a bunch of nerdy white guys. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we brought Kayla on as I was kind of handing off to Adam. Um, but I think there's a lot of Kayla's out there. I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of black voices out there and they may not know that they're invited into the tent. They may just assume they're not invited to the tent because they go mm. on to the website and they see who the writers are and we mm. all kind of look yeah. the same. Right. And yeah. so kind of like the example we had to do with my art district board, we had to go find them. We had to go ask them to be part of the conversation, to join the board because that's a really unfortunate two-way street. Because we've had this privilege for so long, because we've controlled, whether it's media or, you know, nonprofit boards or sports franchises or whatever it is for so long, a lot of folks are just assume, have assumed that they're not invited to the party. And so we got to do a better job of reaching out and recruiting those voices. Um, and I'll, I just want to leave that with you guys. No, 100% agree. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to start talking a little about a little bit about the NBA, a little bit about some basketball, because the, there was some big news that came out over this time. We will be right back. Show. I'm your host Ryan Blackburn, of course, joined by Zach Mikosh, and on this occasion, I'm joined by Andy Feinstein, the former Big Stiff himself, who will always, in my opinion, be the Big Stiff. There is never going to be any doubt there. How, Andy? How tall are you? I'm almost six six. 
So yeah. uh, I, 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 I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm almost six, six. What else can I say? I am yeah, a, I'm, I'm 225 <laughs> pounds. So I'm, I'm, uh, not a small guy. All good. I, I've got, I've got your beat on the poundage, but, uh, I am only five <laughs> eleven, and it is, it is, I, I remember meeting you for the, the first few times that we met. And when I was first getting involved with Denver stiffs, I was looking up at you like, oh my God, like how am I, how am I ever going to ingrain myself into this business full of basketball players if I'm under six feet tall? And then I met Zach and was fine. So you're like, oh yeah, it's all we're good. We're good. No worries. Yeah, imagine, imagine my first, imagine my first day at Stiffs and it's like Andy and Adam and Mike and I'm like, ah. Oh. Uh, you just know, look it up. Gordon, like, my who's God. like is sneakishly like six two or something like that. Like, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ryan, you are you are carrying the the mantle well, my friend. And I, not only am I proud of you, I know Adam is as well, and and uh, so are Nate, and so is Jeff, and and you're doing a great job. So you know, hi, I've always said that. Um, again, talk about being fortunate, right? Uh, I was born tall. I have no control over that, but. Um, I've always believed that height is a mentality sure. and I've always believed that you can think tall. And what that means is, 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 is trying to have a broader, bigger view on things. And I don't care what your physical height is, but you can always think tall and you can always see outwards, uh, uh, maybe further than you think you can. And I think, so I do think height is a mentality more than a physicality. Oh, well said. It's, it's, you have to act, you have to act big before you can really be big. I I, I, I do um, agree with that. I tried to pitch that at a lot of girls in college. Didn't work. <laughs> so here's the thing. So I I wasn't I and the reason I literally am the big stiff. So I wasn't this tall. Um, if I was this tall, my parents would have never had to pay for college. Okay, I was a total stiff. I was a skinny, skinny like five eleven kid. I went to Cherokee High School. Our starting center played in the NBA for twelve years. Michael Ruffin. I couldn't even make yeah. the team. And so I knew early on that the only way I'm going to be connected to sports is going to be to write about it or work in it. So I was the sports writer for the high school paper. I was the sports ed- and the editorial writer for my college paper. I worked Turner sports while I was in college. Um, but I grew uh, over six inches uh, between the age of uh, like 1920 and 23, which is really rare. Yes. When, I came back, when I came back from my 10 year high school reunion, because I'm one year older than Michael Ruffin. When I came back from my 10-year high school reunion, I was as tall as the tallest guy in my class. And wow. uh, I, was a de- I turned out to be a semi-decent like, pickup basketball player because, because I was short growing up. I was never a shooter. I could never shoot to save my life. I could pass and I could dribble. So when I got to be taller, I was always a decent passer, a decent dribbler. So everyone always liked to play with me. And uh, I shouldn't give this, myself this much credit, but I was like a quadruple poor man's Jokic. I was a passing big. I was man. Just thinking that, honestly, like, yeah. like you think you think about some of the players that that were in that sort of situation. Anthony Davis is one that I that I think of as well as somebody who, hey, very famous for being short, developing ball skills as a guard, and then oh well, suddenly now you're six eleven and you have the ball skills of a guard. So. It, makes things a lot easier in that regard. So, well, that's, that is an interesting comparison. I, I, I will continue to think about that. Yeah, I said quadruple poor man's. Obviously I was even <laughs> the high school team or my college team, but again, you know, passionate about the game. And that's another life lesson. I think for anyone who's listening, you know, just cause you can't play the game doesn't mean you can't be connected to the game. 
And, you know, very, very I few agree. people in this world have the privilege of pay, playing the game and forget on the NBA level, even on just like a college team or a G League team or a European team, you are in the 0.001 percentile. Um, right. So, uh, and that doesn't mean young people listening to this shouldn't pursue their dreams and practice endlessly, but a lot of things have to go your way. You have to have physical gifts that basically no other human being has in addition to um, a lot of good nurturing, right? Like good coaching and good, uh, good programming and, and a couple of good breaks in terms of either what college you went to or who drafted you. And you need so many things to go right to get to that level, which is why I do always encourage people that are passionate about the game to find, it, find a way to be connected. You could be a sports lawyer, you could be a sports doctor, you can be a sports blogger. Um, and there's just so many ways to stay connected to the game. Um, uh, and uh, I was able to do that, you know, through this website. Uh, this, this allowed me a unique connection to the game. And I'm still connected to the game thanks to this website, even though I don't write for it anymore. Absolutely. No, that's, that's you're, you're one of the many people that I can thank to be in the position that I am today, to being able to cover a sport like the NBA, which is back, which we are in a position that we can – we could possibly talk about some basketball over the course of the next few over the next few months. NBA calendar seemingly coming back. There, the owners are seemingly voting on some proposals to put people down in Orlando with Walt Disney World and try to get everybody safe and securely down there so that they can finish out the regular season. Zach, I want to start with you. Uh, were you surprised that? we had this NBA news during this time of protests and as everything continues and the world is continuously on fire. Uh, I know that some people were disappointed in the timing of this release. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I can understand. Um, I can, I can understand that thought process. Uh, but, but at the same time, I think uh, for the, I can understand the NBA's perspective too, is a, I mean, time is of the essence for them right now. Uh, they could have perhaps waited um, a week or two more, I guess, because, you know, they're not really getting started back till July. So perhaps a little insensitive there, but I, I you know, I don't necessarily think that it, um, it would have made much difference one way or the other, whether they make this announcement um, this week or next, if, if, if it would, then, then certainly they should have, they should have done that. But I, I to me, um, something something again that that is a uh an, an african american dominated sport like it's it's good to to have positive news about it and is is in my eyes a good thing and let me ask a dumb question um did the nba even do a release uh or did Woz just leak it out and they haven't even That's released true. it yet so well they, there, they, there they, was they took, a vote, they took a vote today but did they actually do a formal release i don't know if they have there was a communication from the NBA league office from the communications office that I believe did share those proposals that, okay. that they shared some of that information that was, that was coming back and that oh. the owners had, or that the, the board of governors had decided they were going to vote this through. Uh, that was public knowledge, not necessarily just claimed by Woj or claimed by Sham Sharania, one of those guys. Uh, so it, it, this is something that has gone through. This isn't necessarily something that's just inside info that, that these are conversations that are happening now. These are conversations that in, in the, in the span of a pandemic, in the span of uh, racial protests around the globe, that this is, this is happening. 
So, um, you know, regardless of the timing issue, and, and we can debate that, but I'm excited. Uh, I read your roundtable column today, and I agree with Zach. I think it was Zach. Um, I do not agree with the 22 teams. Um, right. You know, you, you know what, guys? You should have won more games in the regular season. Tough shit. Right. <laughs> All right? They played 66, 67 games, even if they were one game out of the eighth seed. Tough shit. You should have won more. You should have taken that night off in Sacramento four months ago. So um, I wish they had just done 16 and played a straight-up tournament, just like old, you know, regular style, seven games, seven games, seven games, seven games, all the way through the finals. But uh, for whatever reason, they're squeezing in these extra teams. I just think the brain damage and the logistics of bringing, uh, what, seven extra teams in um, to play eight games and a couple, a couple Wimby warm-up games or whatever, and the and just the, the logistics and the cost and all that for what purpose? I didn't, I don't quite understand. But that aside, that's a real nitpick. I'm excited. I think it's going to be awesome. Um, I think that you know sports, especially the NBA, is such a unifying. We talked about the word inclusive again. Inclusive sport, inclusive business. You know, I am still close to the NBA. I do go on uh, basketball that borders Africa trips every other year. Right. Just the collection of folks that run those organ that run that organization and work there is all walks of life, all ages, all genders, all ethnicities, and um, the NBA has got to be one of the more inclusive organizations that I've ever been affiliated with. So I am excited. Um, you know, it's going to be really weird without fans and no home court advantage and all that stuff, but so what, you know? And yeah. I, I thought that, um, I actually thought they should have gotten started sooner. I think baseball is what baseball has done to itself is a disaster. Right. They should have been playing oh, yeah. for the last six weeks. Yeah. Uh, that's baseball's problem. And, uh, I can't wait. And it, you know, it's going to be, I just can't wait. I don't know what else to say. It, it's going to be really, really exciting. There's definitely a divide. There's definitely a, a a separate feeling that you can have for the the almost the political side of it the the moral and ethical side of it but also just for the entertainment side of things and them being able to add more games to the schedule bring in a little bit more excitement have people be able to surround themselves with a sport that has consistently been a unifying sport as opposed to a dividing sport as we have seen over the past few years in various other leagues uh, I, I am fully in agreement with both of you guys that, hey, maybe the timing should have been a little bit better. Maybe there, maybe there are some things that they, could, that they could have gotten right, that they could have done a little bit better. But, hey, sometimes sports is going to be used as a healthy distraction, and maybe some people see this as a healthy distraction, but I really don't necessarily see it with this. I really think that, especially with the NBA, this is more of a, this is more of a platform. This is more of a way that they can amplify a message of positivity as opposed to distracting people from the negative stuff that's going on. Uh, but with the 22 teams, yeah, you're right. There's, there is definitely, it is a money grab. It is a way to get Zion Williamson into the playoffs as, as a very famous, very exciting rookie who a lot of people associate with and want to see play as many times as possible. They were really upset that they missed out on a bunch of Zion Williamson revenue when he got injured at the beginning of the year and when the pandemic shut down the season. So they want to get him as many games as possible. I let, think. Me, let me ask you a question there, Brian. So let's just say when the New Orleans Pelicans lose three out of their first right. four games and they're totally <laughs> out of it, 
does Zion even play four more games or do they just sit him because why risk the injury after what he's been through this year? So I just do not understand the extra teams. I get the desire to have Zion play, but uh, I cannot imagine that the marginal difference of Zion playing two games versus six or whatever it's going to end up being really makes that big of a difference to the bottom line. But I'm not the, uh, I'm not the marketing expert. Well, that's, that's one of the interesting things that they worked into this proposal was that instead of just going straight into a postseason after these eight games are being played in the regular season, there's, they're going to factor in a play in tournament. And what that tournament is going to consist of is the eight seed will play the nine seed if the nine seed is within four games of the eight seed. So they have a little bit of cushion. Whoever finishes in the nine seed has a little bit of cushion to be able to lose a couple of games, to be able to mess around a little bit. But no matter what, I think, I think we're going to see Zion Williamson play in a play-in tournament in which they will have an opportunity to advance to the playoffs and play the Los Angeles Lakers in the first round. I think that's what the NBA is really gunning for. No, and you're probably thing, right. Yeah, go ahead, Zach. Sorry. I, was saying, I think the other thing, that too, though, you have to remember about the NBA is it's, and really most sports other outside of maybe the NFL is they're deeply, the viewership is deeply regional. Um, so when you bring in the extra six teams, you get, you get six other regional markets um, to put eyes on the television as well. And, you know, some of those are some big ones like Washington, D.C. You're getting Northern California. Um, or at least I guess parts of the, the board warriors fans you're getting Phoenix. Uh, so like that, I think that was uh, somewhat of the driving factor of adding them is too. I, I, I'm with you. It's all revenue, uh, a, a revenue grab, right? They, they, they need to make more money. Like they, they've got to figure out ways to make as much money as possible with the, the games they've got left. Cause they, they're taking it a huge loss. There's no doubt about that. So like, and it will affect future seasons as well if they don't get that right. revenue. And that's one of the driving factors as well. They want to get this money back to it as normal as possible so that the future seasons aren't affected. Right. And knowing the NBA as I do, um, they're going to be very charitable with this. As you said, Ryan, they're going to amplify uh, some really good messages that they're uniquely suited to amplify. Sure. And um, I know the NBA will do the right thing. They always do. They really do when it comes to being good community stewards. I, I can't think of a sport that does it better uh, than the NBA. Um, so in spite of the challenging times we're having, and certainly in the African-American community, um, what better than have a sport that's 75% black to, to uh, <clears throat> you know, give us something to look forward to, give us something to cheer on collectively. Um, I just can't wait. I know I've said that a few times, but I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I can't wait to see which round the Nuggets lose in before they get to the final. <laughs> yes. Will it be the first, second, or third? You know, oh, I, he's back. Uh, he's uh, back. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I was thinking, it's funny, I was thinking, you know, here we were this time last, well, yeah, this time last year, um, the Nuggets had lost game seven to the Trailblazers at home. I was at that game uh, about, what was it, about two weeks ago this time last year, right? Mid-May? Yeah. Right. Uh, yep. right Mother- it was on Mother's Day. Um, yep. And uh, uh, I will tell you what I've said. I've said this on this site forever. Um, I don't see them going to the NBA Finals in my lifetime. But maybe, maybe a global pandemic and some squirrely no home court advantage tournament in Orlando <laughs> will be their ticket to glory. I don't know. <laughs> 
that, said, that leads me on, um, oh go ahead zach i would say i said on twitter is there anything more nug life than like the the nuggets finally winning a championship but it's like yeah but it was that year that you had played <laughs> right, this year I love that. in orlando totally. right? <laughs> you know what i will say this though i will say this though um you know i never thought the cubs would win a world series i never right. thought the toronto Raptors would win an nba championship um you know, it, it is possible. It is really, it is possible. But, but as you guys know, because you are students of this game and more so than I am these days, it's the hardest sport to win in. It's yep. the hardest yep. because yep. when LeBron James goes to nine NBA finals, you know, when Kobe Bryant goes to, um, he went to seven, Magic went to nine, MJ went to six, Duncan went to six. You know, when these guys just gobble up championship appearance after championship appearance because when you're one-fifth of your offense and you're one-fifth of your defense and you just dominate unless you have that guy or one of one of the three guys you're not winning i'm sorry you're just not winning and so that's why some combination of lebron james you know Kawhi leonard you know Giannis antetokounmpo um and you know maybe the raptors this year will be like chauncey billups pistons from 04 that that kind of collective right. team that does break what everything i'm contradicting I'll, I'll contradict myself maybe it breaks everything <laughs> i'm saying but it happens very very few and far between it's and like once usually usually you have to have a top not a top five guy you have to have a top three guy and usually you have to have a top three guy and oh by the way a top 10 guy who plays with the top three guy to win and that's just how it is. And, yeah. and, that, and, and even though I, you know, we love this sport more than any other sport, but that's just how it is. Yep. Yeah, and it's why the Nuggets will they'll always be overlooked. Nikola Jokic will always be outside of that conversation until he is in that conversation, until he, until he proves it on the biggest stage, until some of the supporting cast around him will, will be in that conversation. So let me, let me, I'll, we'll talk about that at the next segment, but get, give me your take. Who, if you had to pick an NBA champion right now, who would you take? You know, I, I picked the Clippers before the year started um, because, you know, it sounds so corny and trite, but championships are, championships are won with defense. And those guys are tough mother you-know-whatters, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. that Clippers team is tough. Uh, they got a great coach. You know, now Kawhi Leonard, who's had some health challenges, just got three months off. Yep. And um, – you know, they're just a nasty, deep, defensive-oriented team. So, you know, I'm going to probably stick with my preseason pick, which is the Clippers. Um, I hate to say it. I, I, that's my pick. I don't, I don't think the Lakers – I know they have a better record or had a better record, but I just don't know if they rounded out the roster well enough or not. But question back to you guys. I mean, this goes back to a little bit what I thought about when, we, when I just watched Last Dance a couple weeks ago, you know. How would Michael Jordan's Bulls have done in that 50-game uh, lockout year? Because, yes, they were older, but is that a benefit because it's less games? You know, right. just like I said about Kawhi Leonard, does LeBron James at 35 years old benefit from having a couple months off? And does he come back just with, like, you know, a ball of fire of energy? I mean, he's only got to play however many games, you know. Um, I don't know. Who are you guys' picks? I pick, I'm picking the Clippers, but I'm not happy about it, just to be clear. I, uh, exactly. I like I say I like Milwaukee uh, as as much as as the NBA will not like Milwaukee. But I, I, we were talking earlier about you know the best player um, on the court and and it, or that might be Giannis. It, he might be 
um, the best guy, even against the Lakers, even against LeBron. It could be at that point. It's it's the interesting wrinkle, like you said, Andy, is LeBron's going to be fresh, which is going to help him compete with a guy who's about 10 years younger. Uh, the other thing I like about the Bucks, though, is they're, they're just the, I think the most complete team. They, they're a team that's been playing together for the longest. They've got a lot of great chemistry. I think Chris Middleton is criminally underrated. Um, we'll see if Brooke Lopez can catch some of that uh, the three-point shooting fire that he had last season and maybe get that turned around for this. But I, th- I think Milwaukee has – there's a reason that they've won uh, 53 games out of 65. Like, they, they look like the best team. The best team doesn't always win. Um, but I think in this case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with them. I am going to go with the, uh, the leader in the clubhouse, so to speak. I think I would probably go with the team that I think benefits most – most from this pandemic shutdown, and that was the Los Angeles Clippers. You were right, Andy, in saying that, hey, Kawhi Leonard getting three months off, that's a really big deal for him. But also a big deal is the fact that they don't have to go on seven road games when they play at Staples Center against the Los Angeles Lakers in a Western Conference Finals this year. They get to play in a crowd that is non-existent. They will play in an atmosphere that they don't have to deal with the the pressure that comes with playing and facing the Lakers crowd that usually help, like it hurts a lot of teams and it hurts a lot of different players in that situation, in that high pressure. Um, I think I would go Clippers, then Bucks, then Lakers, just in that order. I think those obviously the three most likely teams. I don't see any other teams that could really win it or really challenge. I think the Nuggets have as good of a chance as any of the other teams to crack that top four or crack that top three, but either way, all of those other teams, if they were the best, would be a distant fourth behind the Clippers, Bucks, and Lakers. I agree with that, but I think this time there's probably more so than any other time. Like, if you've got a puncher's chance, then you've got a pretty good chance. So, like, all those teams, like the the Nuggets, the Raptors, the Celtics, even even maybe a team like Miami, even a team like Houston, like, they've sure. – They've got. I feel like they've got a puncher's chance, and so in this in this scenario, because it's you know, I mean, you know, who knows what's going to happen? This is not really like anything we've ever done before. So, they, it could be. I think. I think we could be a, see any any number of teams win it. Um, I would agree with your top three is like the top tier, but I I would not be surprised if if it was a lower seed this year who ends up winning the championship. The. Uh... The interesting part about the lockout seasons that, that you brought up, Andy, was the the two most recent ones were the 1998-99 season, where if you had the Bulls, if they were all together, maybe they would have won it. But instead, it was Tim Duncan, who's definitely a top 10 player of all time, in my opinion. Uh, and then the, the most recent one was 2011-2012, when LeBron James won his first championship with Dwayne Wade. So I don't know if it's necessarily... Like, I don't know if a team that doesn't have an elite superstar, I don't think that anything changes for them. I really do think that it still is the team that has the best stars, that has the the brightest talents, uh, the best cohesion in this limited setting is, is probably going to take it. The question is, we just don't know which of those teams is going to come back with the with the best uh, with the best chemistry because all of those teams, like let's say the Lakers and the Bucks, they were catching lightning in a bottle. Can they do it twice? Can they catch lightning in a bottle twice and, and look like the two best teams in the NBA again? I don't know. You know, it's going to be so interesting to watch these games. Um, I'm sure you guys watched last dance. I hope you did. Um, and if you watch the dream team documentary, 
uh, both the Dream Team documentary and Last Dance had a lot of footage of the Dream Team's uh, scrimmages in Barcelona. Right, right. And I'm wondering if that's what this is going to feel like. You know, it's going to be like watching these guys almost playing a scrimmage, uh, playing, a, playing a pickup game, if you will, because there's literally no fans. I know they'll have some presentation. And even in those scrimmages, when push came to shove, Michael Jordan kicked everybody's ass. Yep. And I do wonder if, if LeBron, and I do think Kawhi has that gear, but you know what? So does the Greek freak. So, you know, you're talking about, in my opinion, the three best players in the NBA. So it's not an accident that they are one, two, and three in terms of record and standing and so forth. Um, although the Raptors do have a better record than the Clippers. Um, and I guess I just wouldn't be surprised, but uh, it's going to just be fascinating. I don't know what else to say. It, 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 it's going to be so interesting. I thought the NBA should have, because they've been talking about this for years, should have rolled out their virtual reality uh, business with this. You know, they've been talking oh, about it for a few years where you oh. put the headset on, they basically play in front of a blue screen, but you feel like you're in a game with fans all around you. You as the fan with the Oculus headset on sitting at home. But I don't think they can roll that out fast enough. But I did think about that too. Um, it's just going to be surreal. It's going to be surreal. But you know what? It is better than watching. I watched the 82-83 uh, Nuggets, Pistons, 186-184 triple <laughs> overtime game the other night. I mean, I, am, I, watched, uh, I watched Nuggets, Sonics, game 5-94 the other night. I watched my favorite non-Nugget ever, Dominique Wilkins, 1988 uh, Celtics, uh, Hawks, game 7 in the Boston Garden when Dominique goes for 47. I am so sick of watching – old games. I mean, the other night they had like some bullshit Devin Booker game on where he scored like 50 points or something. Like who cares? You know, I am dying for, I am dying for live basketball, new basketball. Um, and, uh, July, 20, July 31st can't be here soon enough. One thing they have not talked about. And I think they, I'm assuming they're going to do, they've got to have some sort of an exhibition, don't they? They can't just go to like eight regular season games. So they need to play like, you know, like those tune-up games that they do for the Olympics, like three or four, just kind of warm-up games? You know, I, I would hope that they would do that, but they haven't mentioned it. And I, what they have mentioned is that they're going to try and get players in-house, get them back at their training facilities about a month before, and then over the course of the next couple of weeks, then shuttle everybody to Orlando, get them acclimated to the situation. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know if that's if that's the best way to go about things and if they're even planning on doing exhibition games. I feel like in some ways they they are seeing these regular season games as those exhibition matches. Uh because because the seedings are not as important now because they are like in in this late stage situation uh it's really about the the best teams warming up more than anything. It's a uh, distinct disadvantage for the Nuggets that they have to go work out at their own training facility for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Just their own training. You know, Zach, you know, the Nuggets, um, and I think this is part of why they lost to Portland last year, is home court advantage doesn't mean anything in the playoffs anymore right. in Denver because, I mean, maybe it does from a crowd standpoint, but it do, the altitude doesn't mean anything anymore. I mean, now that they play, like, two games in eight days or whatever the nonsense they've been doing. That'll be nice to see, by the way, you know, get back to playing every other day, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, 
that, that's going to be really nice to see. I, it's so painful to like watch a game on a Monday and then you got to wait till Thursday night at eight thirty to see game two or, you know, however they've been doing right. it lately. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they compress it. I mean, are they going to play multiple games at the same time on courts next to each other? Like you're in a rec hall, you know, it, it's just going to be so interesting. <laughs> ball bounces over into the right. other court. And- right. Uh, they still have some things. They still have some things to work out, but but I, I they, they do have some plans. I think they've got multiple gyms set aside as as game time gyms so that they could do some things. Now, now at let, the me same throw, time. let me throw let me throw a potentially negative wrinkle in all this. Uh, with all these protests going on across the country, if we see a COVID spike because of this, do they mm-hmm. mix it? Yeah, um, I, I'm sure that has to be worked in there into the language somewhere. Yeah, right. Now, I'm hoping that – I'm certainly not an, ep- an epidemiologist, uh, but I am hoping that we won't see a spike after these protests, which means that the distancing that we did for a couple months combined with maybe some good weather and uh, maybe we, you know, we right. added this thing enough that we can feel safe playing sports again. But I just hope we didn't spoil it with these – I mean, absolutely, these protests were important and absolutely uh, Americans should be exercised of any – of any color should be exercising their constitutional rights to protest and assembly. But I am a little concerned that it could spike the virus back. I almost feel like we've forgotten that we have a global pandemic going on in the last century. It's uh, it's the Spanish flu and the, and the riots all all at the same time. And the great Uh, depression. And and the great depression. That's, that's another thing. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to, we're going to get into some nugget specific stuff as opposed to just playoffs. Uh, Lots of nugget stuff to, to really hit on and, and one tidbit that, that one of our friends wanted me to share with you. We'll be right back. We are back with the Denver Stiff Show. I'm Ryan Blackburn, of course, joined with Zach Mikosh and Andy Feinstein on this wonderful occasion. Uh, a good friend of ours, Andy, he, uh, for the sake of anonymity, let's just call him Jeffrey Morton. Uh, J, J Page 78. That was J Page uh, 78. Was, there you go. That was his screen name when he was having a go at me every <laughs> single day. With his weekly I, optimism. Right. Uh, if, I can't, if I can't beat him, join him. But anyway, oh, that's <laughs> funny. He 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 did mention that when we were potting together that he used to write a column called Weekly Optimism, and I I couldn't think of anything further than the truth for <laughs> just Jeff, Jeff is as somebody who's very uh, he's very sarcastic at times and very uh, you think very, oh yeah just a little bit uh, <laughs> love you Jeff really really appreciate you. He wanted me to share this take. Uh, James Merrillat of 104.3 The Fan was uh, saying that Carmelo Anthony was the best Denver Nugget of all time. Uh, how do you react to that? Oh, come on, Merrillat. Uh, he's a friend of mine. Uh, <laughs> give me a break. Really? I know why James is saying that. James is saying that. I know why James is saying that. James is saying that because, um, because uh, in theory, Carmelo's uh, 08 09 Nuggets got technically they got farther than um, uh, any team that like, from the 80s got because they won one more game in the Western Conference Finals on their way to getting slaughtered by the Lakers in games five and six. Uh, and by the way, speaking of a crummy 2020, we lost Kobe Bryant too. And yeah. you know, if you remember yeah. that series, I went to all six games. I flew back and forth from LA to Denver. I, I, I was in year two of the blog. And 
I remember um, the Nuggets played them even through the first four, and they played them even through the first half of game five. And then the second half of game five at Staples Centers in game six, Kobe destroyed us, like literally destroyed us. It was like, why did we even bother playing the first two yep. games? They should have just swept us. It was so clear to me that there was not even in the same class of team. Uh, and, of course, Carmelo folded like a deck chair in game six, as he always did in big playoff games. So, uh, Marilyn is totally wrong. Um, the greatest nugget ever is Alex English. It's not even close. He scored more yeah. points in the decade of the 1980s than any other human being in the NBA. Um, and he was a gentleman and a scholar, literally. Uh, and, uh, you know, he took the Nuggets to a Western Conference Finals in 85. What people forget is in 1986, 1986, the Nuggets went to game six against the future NBA Finals participant, Houston Rockets, and lost a double overtime game six in McNichols Arena. Alex English actually won playoff series multiple. Carmelo won two in the yep. seven he went to or whatever, you know, while he was here um, and was basically a ghost as they lost playoff series after playoff series in the first round. And, oh, by the way, he stood up his own charity event in Denver that I went to when I just started the blog. So uh, Alex English, it's not even close. Now, if you want to talk about – got to talk about – you're talking about career or season? Because if you're talking about oh, season – Open-ended. If you're talking about like the guy who was like the best player we had, that may have been Spencer Haywood, yeah, um, or, David, or David Thompson, um, and uh, certainly Jokic is going to make an argument. You know, by the time his career is done, if he's assuming he stays here, and then of course Carmelo bailed on us too. You know, the the, the Nuggets bailed on Alex English. Alex English did not bail on the Nuggets. Right. And yeah. so Marilat's crazy. You. I love you, James Marilat. I've, I've been friends <laughs> with James for a decade, uh, more than a decade, and he can call me anytime, but he's out of his mind, and it's not even close to Alex English. As, as Jeff, a 23 I hope you listen old, to that. As, as, <laughs> as a 23-year-old, I, I know that my perspective on something like this is limited. I was never able to see Alex English play. I was never able to see David Thompson play. Uh, those no matter what you look at, like those are the guys that when, when you think about the Nuggets, when you think about Nuggets franchise history, those are the two that should always be thought about. Uh, you could you can even bridge the gap and say Dan Issel in there when, you. when you're talking about one of I, – I knew I'd get I knew I'd get Zach on board if I just mentioned no, I the saw, horse. I saw, booster. Yeah, I saw something somewhere like best starting fives of every team. I think it's one of these things that ESPN was just right. doing to build yeah. content. And, yep. you know, certainly the point guard for Denver would be Fat Lever. It's right. kind of a no-brainer. Um, the two guard is David Thompson. No-brainer. Right. Small forward is Alex English. No-brainer. Now, where it gets a little challenging is when you talk about the four of the five spot because Matumbo, you might think Matumbo for the five, but he only played four right. years here. Right. Um, yep. Dan Issel played a lot more seasons than that, but he was kind of a four stuck at the five. And then Carmelo is really a three, but – should he be at the four? So, you know, to me, those guys kind of round – and then throwing Jokic. So, those guys kind of round out the 6-7, um, probably best nuggets of all time. But suggest that Carmelo's number one is, is, is ludicrous. Zach, I know you have we, – we, we have done this bracket over at Denver Stiffs that we have – there have been a lot of takes, a lot of fiery conversations that have spawned from erroneous statements from Nuggets Twitter and, and – fans of the Denver Stiffs blog that have chimed in on this subject, but they voted in Nikola Jokic as the, the greatest nugget of all time. And, and 
although we have a an all a, a definitely younger audience, a, a younger skewed audience as a young person. Like it's, it's, it's very fair to say, Hey, Jokic isn't quite there yet, but I do think he can get there. Zach. Oh, I think Jokic uh, is, should he, should he stay in Denver? I think he'll retire as the greatest, greatest nugget of all time. Um, it's he's, he's well on his way. Cause he's what? 23, 24 now. Um, just turned 25. Just turned. That's right. He's ten years younger than me. I gotta remember that. Um, and same birthday. But um, he um, he's already so twenty five. He's already made it to this. He was a game away from the Western Conference Finals. Um, he it took him a bit to get there. It took him a bit longer to get to the playoffs than it did Melo or um, any of these other guys. All these other guys they got whether they were drafted by the Nuggets, the Nuggets traded for him. Once they got to Denver, they was pretty much immediately brought them to playoff success. So it's taken him a bit longer, but he I think he's got the best shot um, that we've seen in a while, at least probably till, since English. The thing is, is, like Andy said, I mean, Melo had no shot, and, and he's exactly right. Is Melo was one of those guys who really struggled to elevate his game to the next level uh, once the playoffs. Like, when, when I remember always thinking about Melo, like, you know, Darren Williams would be putting up like 25 points and 14 assists. And Carlos Boozer is putting up like 23 points and 12 rebounds. And like Melo's like, yeah, I got like 26 points on 22 shots and three rebounds and two assists. And you're like, dude, come on. Like everybody clearly is stepping their game up and you're just still doing your thing. Like, um, so I don't know, you know, where uh, it'll take too much for Jokic to get past Melo. Cause I do don't, I don't think he's Jokic is past Melo just yet, but uh, after that, you know, like you're talking English, Thompson and Issel, and um, you, that's the thing about the Nuggets. All you got to do is make one finals. You make one finals, you're the greatest <laughs> Nugget of all time. Like that's that's it. So uh, bring us to the promised land. Got a pretty good shot at it. If if honestly, if he won a series this year against the Clippers or the Lakers, I would comfortably put him over Melo. Like that's oh yeah, those easy. are those are two juggernauts that we expect to win the NBA Finals. And if you can defeat a team like that, then you deserve a place in history. All he's got to do to beat Melo is just get out of the first round. Like, what? Then he'd be like, oh, I made it out of the first round more than once. So, you know, <laughs> he's passed. Yeah, Mello that's now. that's pretty. T- I mean, that's, Jokic is a fabulous, yeah. fabulous player, and um, I, you know, he may go down in history as the greatest second round pick ever. Uh, I mean, that's the type yeah. of potential he has. You know, he'll, he'll give. I think Manu Ginobili was a second round pick. I was he say, yeah, we got to be like forgetting somebody. There's gonna be somebody who's gonna get angry at us. Well, Manu Ginobili was a second round pick. I think Draymond Green was a second round pick. I think Dennis Rodman Mark, was a second round pick. I mean, there's gonna be some. Marcus Gasol maybe, but he's not really in the same tier. Yeah, well, Marcus Gasol had a phenomenal, phenomenal career. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So, so and anyway, it's gonna be. Um, I don't worry too much about that stuff, but uh, you know, you get, you got to honor the legacy too of, of these guys. And uh, of course, you know, Alex English was the man. You know, and he was hey, a movie star. Sorry. And he was a movie star. Look up Amazing Grace and Chuck. <laughs> I will look it up. Uh, but he's a South Carolina alum too, which is which is where I'm from. So, or right. at least the University of South Carolina. That's uh that was good for me. Uh, okay. So, in, independent of the greatest nugget, who is your favorite nugget to watch of all time, Andy? Lafonso Ellis. Yep. Yep. My man. Both you and Zach. <laughs> yeah, um, I love Lafonso Ellis. And I'll tell you, um, I know it's like the same exact era, but Mahmoud Abdul yep, I was going to say, uh, a very, very, very close second. Uh, I just, there was something about those two guys. You know, I, I grew up watching English and Lieber. 
but I remember Lafonso and Mockwood a little better just because I was in my early teens. And sure. um, they were just they were just so much fun to watch. I love you know Lafonso Ellis is my all time favorite Denver Nugget. He just is. That's one of the one of the things that Jeff Martin and I actually have in common. And uh, you know, Mockwood, I know I know I sound like an old man. I'm I, I'm one of these old man basketball fans, but oh, Mockwood played today with no hand checking. And the emphasis on the three-pointer like they have now, I mean, he'd be in Steph Curry range. I'm not saying he'd be Steph Curry, but he'd be in the range. I mean, and don't don't quote me. Look at Phil Jack, look up Phil Jackson and Mahmoud Abdul Raouf because Phil Jackson said the same thing um, a couple of years ago. And uh, he just didn't quite catch the right era. And you know, Mahmoud's really relevant today. You know, Colin Cavaliers, you know, to bring this back to the outset of this conversation before we wrap up the show. There's sure. been a lot of conversation about Colin Kaepernick, and here, here's a guy that peaceably kneeled down um, on that football field. And was that really that big of a deal that he kneeled down? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm sorry, it was a big deal, but I mean, the yeah. way that uh, opposition to that movement made such a big deal out of it, he did a very gentlemanly, peaceful thing by kneeling sure. down. Sure. And yet, so profound and powerful symbolically. Well, Mahmoud did it first. You know, in the early 90s, now for different reasons, you know, Colin Kaepernick was protesting police brutality and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who had converted to Islam, was protesting our flag and our national anthem because you know, it was more of the representation of military interference into the Middle East, which he was not happy about. And one could argue that's just as controversial, if not more controversial, than what Colin Kaepernick did. But Mahmoud would not stand for the national anthem. And then uh, the NBA suspended him, I believe, one game, maybe two. And then David Stern, the commissioner at the time, made a deal with Mahmoud that you got to stand for the national anthem, but you don't have to have your head up. And so he put it, he would cup his hands and put his head in his hands. And I personally didn't necessarily agree with Mahmoud Abdul-Rub's, you know, political stance, but I absolutely agreed with his right to make it. And I thought he showed a lot of bravery and it cost him his career. Right. Very similar yeah. to Colin Kaepernick. It cost him his career because um, he was, from that point forward, considered a malcontent, which is not fair. And the Nuggets traded him for, to the Sacramento Kings for an aging yeah. Sabrunas Marshallonis. Yeah. And he just faded away into obscurity. And I don't know if you followed the big three at all, Ice Cube's Basketball League, yeah. but a 50-year-old Mahmoud kicked ass last year <laughs> in the big well, he's – I say he's still he was playing overseas for like a long time. Like he he definitely like yeah he never he never let it go. And you're absolutely right. Like because I think he went to Sacramento and then it was done. Like I think he played one season and it was uh, after that it was gone. I, I forgot about Marcelona. Yeah, I was so I remember being so angry because you know when, when I was still probably what like eleven or twelve years old when he got traded. Man, yeah, I was so angry that they they traded Mahmoud Abdul-Rahim for. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, yeah, I'm looking at Mahmoud's stats here while we're while we're still together. So 95-96, okay, this is his sixth season on the Denver Nuggets. He averages a career high 19.2 uh, points per game, 40 uh, percent shooting from three, which back then was a big number. Yeah, which was amazing. He came to Sacramento. Uh, he averages 13.7. He's 27 years old. The next year, he plays 31 games for the Kings. He's 28 years old and he's out of the league. He goes to Turkey. He retires. He comes back to play for the Vancouver Grizzlies for a handful of games, and we never hear from him again at 31 years old. Um, 
And that to me is just, that's just crazy. That is just crazy. And, you it's know, if you, think about, if you think about Last Dance um, with the Bulls, um, so the Chicago Bulls won, I believe they won 17 straight games and that season. You know, they won 70 games that season, uh, 72 games that season. And they'd won 17 straight games. And a lot of folks thought that they were going to break the Lakers record of 33 straight from the early 70s. Sure. So they've won 17, I believe it was 17 or 18 straight. They come into Denver in early February. Denver's season was basically over. Um, they had, uh, they'd already, you know, they just had a crummy season and they were going to miss the playoffs. Mahmoud lights up the Bulls uh, for 32 points and nine assists in that wow. game in Denver. Yeah. And we beat them. And we ended their winning streak. Um, and, it's a big uh, deal. Yeah, and so anyway, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, uh, to me, is the embodiment of peaceful, peaceful protest. And he should be honored as we think about what's going on in our country and, and what Colin Kaepernick kind of, you know, took the mantle and, and did himself. Zach, I know, I know you have you have your own thoughts on Mahmoud and, and on Lafonso Ellis, too, and just that that general era. Uh, right. Care to share? Yeah, no, I mean, that was um, so that was my era, right? So like the, the 94, I was nine years old um, when they beat the Sonics. I remember listening to that game. I had a soccer game that day for game five. So I was listening to that game like in the parking lots after the soccer game um, and then hearing them win. I think that, that game went into overtime, right? So it was, we were there yeah. for a while. I remember that too. And it was a long drive back from, I think we were in Denver and anyway. So, but um, yeah, it's, uh, that was my, I mean, that was my, that was my team. That was my jam. Those were my guys. Uh, Lafonso Ellis, I got to meet right that very next uh, training camp. He was like 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 a week or two after he had hurt his knee, uh, and he was really really cool. He took like a good ten minutes of his time to sit down and talk with me. Um, Mahmoud was just like Mahmoud was my guy because he was the short guy, and I was a short guy, and so like you know I was all about uh, all about him. And and then you know everybody loves the three ball like that was true back then as well. I and mean, he was he was just such a lights out three point shooter. He was automatic like. The most uh, more automatic than Gallo or or Steph or like the most automatic free throw shooter I've ever seen um, in my life was was Mahmoud. That guy did not miss um, from the free throw line, and and it was just it was it was a really fun team. It's that team I always go back to, and it's just it's such a weird set of circumstances that happen, right? So you have the Mahmoud with the anthem thing, and that and that's how he ends up leaving the team. You had Lafonso Ellis hurting his knee in a pickup basketball game. Um, and that it pretty much derails his career in Denver. You have Bernie Bickerstaff not wanting to pay Dikembe Mutombo, and so then he ends up leaving uh, to Atlanta. You had a team there in that in that '94 season. At the end of that '93 '94 season, that was a good, strong, young core. So much so that when they lost their best player in Lafonso Ellis, they still were able to make the playoffs the next season. They were still an eight seed again. They got swept by the Spurs. It was uh, it was bad, but. Um, they they were still a very good team, and it's a, I always look at that that '90s era's team, and it's like one of those what could have been if they had just been able to keep it together. But for for Nug Life, it just wasn't meant to be, and they all ended up uh, going away. It was kind of a shame, but uh, I guess in a roundabout way, that's how we ended up with Mello. So, um, oh, it was so sad, Zach. I have a not so funny story. So I was working in Atlanta for Turner Sports in 1996. And my boss, who to this day is a good friend, a lifelong mentor, he's now um, head of corporate communications for NBC Sports. 
and I'm in Atlanta, I'm in his office. He said, I've got good news and bad news for you today. And I was like, what's the good news? He goes, well, the good news is you're going to meet Dikembe Mutombo. And I said, well, what's the bad news? He goes, well, the reason you're going to meet him is because he just signed <laughs> with the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> uh, and that was the first time I – actually, I think it was like the second time I met Mutombo. And I actually see Dikembe now every summer when I go to Africa with Masai Ujiri and, and the folks from NBA Africa and our Giants of Africa organization. And Dikembe is the best. And he never wanted to leave here. Just like Alex English, the Nuggets gave up on him. Yep, absolutely. And uh, it's just, it's heartbreaking. You know, Fonz blow, blows out his knee in the summer of 94. And he was the glue. He was the glue. And he just wasn't the same. The team wasn't the same. And um, he was the heartbeat of that team. And yeah, uh, God, they went into a tragic winter. What was it, like eight years without making the playoffs until Melo shows up in 04, yeah. 03, 04? Um, but anyway, we wrote, we wrote ad nauseum about this at Denver Stiffs. I'm sure those articles are buried out there somewhere. I did a five-part series on how that all went down. Bernie Bickerstaff, Bernie Bickerstaff, who's a lifetime Denver Stiffs Hall of Famer, lifetime achievement winner, 1996 <laughs> draft, 1996 draft, the Nuggets had the 10th pick. And they just lost Matumbo. They had the 10th pick. Bernie Bickerstaff decides, let me find my draft here. Bernie Bickerstaff decides that <clears throat> there's nobody worth drafting after 10. Okay? This is a true story. So he trades down, okay, he trades down um, with Indiana, and I believe he, we pick up Mark Jackson and Vincent Askew, if memory yeah, serves. He traded and, Jalen Rose, right? Was that no, part of that uh, too? We pick up Vincent Askew, and uh, I don't know if Jalen Rose was in that trade. <clears throat> um, we pick up Vincent Askew and Mark Jackson and the 18th pick. And we let Indiana take Eric Dampier at 10. So remember, Bernie Bickers have said, nobody's worth drafting after 10. Well, let me tell you who gets drafted after 10. Um, a guy named Kobe Bryant goes at 13. A guy named Peja Stoyakovich goes at 14. A guy oh. named Steve Nash goes at 15. And a guy named Jermaine O'Neal goes at 17. It's brutal. So Who's the Nuggets pick, though? We took a guy – This is okay, this is also part of the story if you want me to continue <laughs> rambling. I do. The Nuggets take a guy named Ephemios Rencius from Greece. <laughs> True story. <clears throat> Only one person from Denver had ever seen this guy play live, and it is I. <laughs> I went – I was able to confirm at the time that Bernie Bickerstaff and his staff had never seen him play in person. I Man. saw Ephemios Rencius play. In the Olympics in Atlanta for Team Greece, off the bench against like the Brazilians or something who were terrible back then, he went like one for six. <laughs> and I think I'm the only guy in Denver from Denver who had anything to do with Denver, anything to do with the Nuggets ever. I'm the only guy who's ever seen the guy play. <laughs> that is wonderful. Um, That's at at the and, disparaging and, nature of. And this is why, and this is why, and Doug Mo didn't know this at the time, but this is why we are the Denver Stiffs because it's always something. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you are absolutely right, uh, Zach. You're right. It was. It was. Uh, he was. Jalen Rose was traded with Reggie Williams, and the I got my my uh, my uh, trades mixed up. Uh, Reggie Williams, Jalen Rose, and that first round pick, number ten to the Pacers for Mark Jackson and Ricky Pierce. I said Vincent Askew. Sorry, I got my ex-Sonics confused. Uh, Ricky and it was Pierce. like the corpse of Mark Jackson, too. Yeah. Like Mark Jackson was not any good. And the corpse of Ricky Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and uh, the 18th pick in the draft, and they missed on Kobe Bryant and Steve Nash. And they let Jalen Rose go. Like, Jalen Rose was a good player for a long time. Like, you got it. Man. Uh, Why did we have yeah. to bring that up? <laughs> man. That's insane. Now, they had a – this uh, – Jalen Rose. Looking at, I'm Jaylen looking Rose at what Mark Jackson team. did. What's that? I, I'm just – I'm just looking at what Mark Jackson did with the Nuggets. He spent half of a season before going oh. back to Indiana. Yep. yep. It was he like, literally was, was traded back to Indiana that same year. And, right. and, and he, he played much NBA better final. in Indiana. Yeah. That's insane. He was our Eddie Kinnison. That's Shout out nuts. to Bronco fans out there. Uh, okay. Well, uh, a, a good run through history to be clear. Uh, we're running out of time here. Before before I let you go, I want to get some of your your takes on what's currently going on with these Nuggets. Uh, you have a take on on how far this team is going to go in these playoffs, or is it all up in the air? Ask that question again. Sorry, Ryan. Uh, how far do you think this team, this current Nuggets team, can go in the playoffs this year? In a year completely affected by global pandemic and protests, sure. and by the way, Zach, being in really Orlando. Quick, Mark Jackson, when he was traded back to Indiana, was for Vincent Askey. So I knew Vincent Askey <laughs> was there somewhere. Um, <laughs> so anyway, the Nuggets were able to get the corpses of two X Supersonics in the same uh, year. Way to go, oh, uh, way to go, Nuggets. Um, I think the Nuggets are going to go to the second round and lose. Uh, yeah. And I hate to be a pessimist. I'm, you know, I'm good friends with Tim Connolly, and and I love those guys. But I, I just think that no LeBron, no Kawhi, um, no Donovan Mitchell, uh, no James Harden. I just think it's going to be tough for the Nuggets to get to the conference finals, in my opinion. So I do see them going to the second round, though. Um, and uh, I am not bullish on the Rockets. Actually, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm just not. But uh, I don't see the Nuggets going to the conference finals. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I'd be off brand if I didn't go to the finals. So. <laughs> That's okay. It's 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 definitely not definitely not insulting to think that they could, as the third best team of the Western Conference, they wouldn't be one of the top two teams to go to the conference finals. I I totally agree with you. That's where I see them going to. Yeah. Zach. Yep. I wish I you know it doesn't make for good podcasting, but uh, it's hard to see them getting past either of the LA teams. Uh, no matter if they if they slip up and end up in the four seed and end up playing the Lakers in the second round, or if they stay at the three seed, play the Clippers in the second round. I, I just the Nuggets are undersized on the wings. The two teams in LA have two of the best wings in the uh, in the world in the NBA. You know, players two of the top three players, and they both are on the wings. So I, I just don't see them being able to contain LeBron. I don't see them being able to contain Kawhi, and that will be really, really tough to overcome in a seven-game series. And by the Wings way, that's not, by the way, that's not a bad – it's not like a bad thing. No, those are really good teams. You know, yeah. you know we become oh, yeah. spoiled with these super teams that, like, go to the finals the next year after they assemble them. I mean, if you, if you look at – again, back to the last dance, I mean, Michael Jordan lost to the Detroit Pistons three years in a row. Like, right. one year in the second round and two years in the conference finals. How do you think he enjoyed that? I mean, the Pistons themselves, um, with like, I mean, I mean, if you watch that Bad Boys documentary, they like get to the second round one year. They go, they lose in the first round the next year. You know, in today's NBA, they they'd fire the GM, they'd fire the coach, they'd trade the best player, and they'd blow that up. You know, I mean, it's okay to get to the second round a couple years in a row and learn from your mistakes and and build some grit, and then you maybe then with a trade you bring in your Mark Aguirre like the. Pistons did, or you bring in your Buck Williams like the Blazers did, or you, you know, you bring in, am I dating myself here, Zach? 
or you know, <laughs> or, or in the case of the Bulls, you bring in your Bill Cartwright, right? Like, right, you know, that's it, you, Bill Cartwright. You gotta like, you gotta kind of incrementally, like, or the Lakers did when they brought in Glenn Rice. You know, they had Shaq and Kobe and in... played down the playoffs. So sometimes you gotta bring in that extra guy, but your team has the the metal, the 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 um, the attitudinal metal to get through a couple playoff series. So losing the second round is not necessarily a bad thing, but that is where I see them falling uh, again this year. Do you have a Jamal Murray take? Oh God, you guys are terrible. <laughs> uh, I know why you're asking that question. This is a children's program. Shame on you. Oh, um, oh I was honestly, can I be honest with you? I was just going to say, do you have a Michael Porter Jr. Take in addition? It's oh, just, God. just okay. literally basketball promise. Sure. Is that, does that mean my head <laughs> is in the gutter? Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I gotta be really careful what I say now. Um, I think Jamal, Jamal Murray, um, I've never met him. I'm very disconnected from the players, so I don't know anything about him. Um, I don't know anything about him. I, I think uh, I, I think that if Jamal Murray's your third best player, you're going to the conference finals. My concern is if he's your second best player, you're losing in the second round. I just don't think he's – I don't think he goes for 40 – he's not Damian Lillard, you know? Like, he's not going to go right. for 45 – if you, or, or even you know if you if you need to win a game in the fourth quarter and you know go for twenty in the fourth quarter in a playoff game, I just don't see it. Um, so that's my take on Jamal Murray, and that doesn't mean to denigrate him or dislike him. I do like him. I just think that he's he's just a, a tier below um, the, the, those types of guys that win playoff games for you. Do sure. you want a Michael Porter Jr. take as well? Sure. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, I think he's a rich man's Danilo Gallinari. Um, okay. And uh, I don't know how that jump shot goes in. I don't understand it. He's like leaning backwards when he shoots it, and it somehow goes in. Um, and I think he's got a bright future. I mean, look, the Nuggets have to grind out draft picks like that if they are to ever win anything in this town. Um, with all due respect to the city that I'm a fifth-generation native of and that I love very much, you know, those top three guys are not walking through this door unless Tim Connolly pulls off a Masai Ujiri Kawhi Leonard type trade, you know, and just rolls the dice. Like I thought maybe that would happen with Anthony Davis, but it has to be something like that. So the only other path for the Nuggets to get to the finals is to do what the Warriors did, which is grind out draft picks. And so even though I ended up hating the Warriors when they got Durant, the pre-Durant Warriors were amazing. I mean, they got guys at seven and they got guys at 11 and they got guys at 35 and, you know, the Nuggets have to grind out picks like that. And if they have any hope, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is a brilliant pick if you believe in that, if you believe in that type of team building. I think it's very possible. Uh, when you talk about if Jamal Murray needs to be the third guy on a championship team, I think it's very possible that Michael Porter Jr. could be the second guy if, if Nicole Jokic is your first guy or, or vice it. versa. You got so it. So I think there's there's definitely I think there's definitely a future for this group going to get going we just forward. Need to make sure together. that Michael Porter Jr. does not succumb to the power forward curse. That right. befell it yeah. befell Calvin Nat, it befell Lafonso Ellis, it befell Antonio McDice, it befell Nene, it befell Kenyon Martin. Yeah. And so we just have to hope. Yeah. Boy, we can oh, throw by the way, well. way, it got Paul Millsap two years ago. Yeah. <laughs> So he's got to make sure he doesn't succumb to the power forward curse. So, so, yeah. so Coach Malone, Coach Malone, another friend of mine, if you're watching this and you're listening to this, which I'm sure you are, I'm sure you've made it all the way to the end here. Um, 
He'll get the transfer from Porter Jr. at the three. Because if you put him at the four, he's going to come succumb to the curse. Right. Very much agree. Very. Uh, I'm in full agreement there. Uh, Zach, I don't. I don't have anything else. Uh, guys, this I was a lot of fun. It. This was great. I, I really appreciate having both of you on. Andy, it's it's been a pleasure watching you from afar, watching what you've done for the city of Denver, uh, just and for the for the Denver Stiffs as as a whole. So it's it's been wonderful. I really appreciate this. Uh, I really am am very thankful for you taking some time to come on with us. Well, the pleasure is mine, and, and seriously, let's do this again, okay, guys? Promise we'll do this again Look, in a couple of weeks when the season absolutely. gets going. Uh, Absolutely. I miss you guys. I love you guys. I love this nation and, and give my love to the rest of the crew. Okay. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this episode of the Denver stiff show. Make sure to tune in next week. I, I might try to, might try to have on Jeff Morton next week. Just see, see if you can have a nice little rebuttal to, to all the, the nasty comments that we gave him on this episode. Uh, you weren't nasty. We love Jeff. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, by, the way, by the way, get me and Jeff on the same show and you two won't say anything for two hours. So <laughs> I'm looking that, that is, that is a dream of mine. That would be great. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. We will see you guys next week.